morning. It feels a little bit like the Emerald City up here, but um, the, and that's okay, right? The, the color green is an important color. It affects us, um, according to Born Created, the color green affects us physically and mentally in several different ways. Green is soothing, relaxful, relaxing, and youthful. I like that, right? Uh, green is a color that helps alleviate anxiety, depression, and nervousness. Green also brings with it a sense of hope, health, adventure, renewal, as well as self-control, compassion, and harmony. And it just also happens to be the color of the Michigan State Spartans. Green is a great color, right? Uh, you should all be feeling pretty good at, at about this point in the service. You've been penetrated with green. It's washing over our souls. Today, we are uh, talking about the idea of hope. And hope is best represented uh, by the color green. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning. Uh, we thank you for being a God of hope. Um, hopefully, uh, by the end of this message, we will all be um, convinced to have our hope in you. And uh, for those of us that are already convinced that we would uh, renew our hope in you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen. There were uh, once uh, two identical twins, and they were alike in every way except for one. Uh, one was a hope-filled optimist, saw the bright side of life. The other was a dark pessimist, saw uh, problems around every corner and in every situation. And so the parents were worried about the extremes of their children. Uh, and they took them to the doctor. And uh, this was um, many, many years ago. So this, you would never take this advice now. And this is a joke. But he suggested a plan. He said, on their next birthday, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give the pessimist a shiny new bike and see what happens. And I want you to give the optimist like a pile of manure and see what happens. Just a joke, all right? So no, nobody actually did this to their kids, but just go with me, all right? It seemed like an extreme thing to do. And so the parents uh, had always treated their kids equally. So this seemed extreme, but they decided to give it a, a chance. And so on the, the birthday came and in that morning, they gave the pessimists the most expensive top of the, uh, top of the range racing bike that they, they could find. And the pessimists opened it up and saw the bike and said, man, I'm probably going to break my leg on that bike. And the optimist, they gave, as the doctor said to do, just kind of a box of manure, and he opened it up and uh, screamed out of the house and said, you can't fool me, this much manure, there must be a pony around here somewhere, right? Um, <laughs> right? See, you were offended, and then it paid off, all right? So after 12 years, trust me, all right? So um, we don't often think about hope uh, as an emotion, but as we talked about in the first week of this series, that uh, when we talk about emotion and when the Bible talks about soul, it's talking about this part of us, the, this inside part of us that makes us uniquely human. And hope is one of those attributes that, is, that makes us fully human. It's part of what it means to be human. Animals don't walk around with hope right? And not much of it anyway. And so let's start out with a, with a definition of hope. Here it is on the screen for you. Hope is the expectation of a better future, right? That's all that hope is. It's the expectation of a better future, that the thing I'm hoping in is going to result in a better future for me and my family. That's how the Greek word would best be translated. And the question of hope and the question of this morning is who I'm leaning on or what I'm trusting in, is it actually going to lead me and my family, the people that I love, is it going to lead us to a better future? Because that's the thing you should hope in. 
And, and I'm going to lay a little bit of groundwork here. We're not going to get to the psalm that we're studying uh, for probably about 10 minutes or so. If you'll indulge me, I just don't want you to freak out when we get to that point. You're like, he just finished his intro. All right. No, no, no. We're, we're going to be in that a little bit later. But because I think our culture has misunderstood hope for a long time. And here's what I mean by that. The way most of us would define hope is we would use the word hope to describe a situation um, or an event where we don't have any sense of certainty and we don't have any sense of sureness about the thing we've put our hope into. So that's how we typically define it is, man, I don't have any certainty. I don't have any sureness, but I hope this happens. That's typically how our culture defines it. So one of the great examples of this is the lottery. All right. So the lottery was just over, uh, what was it, two point whatever billion. And uh, some of you bought a ticket for that. And I know you were going to tithe it if you won. <laughs> I have absolute hope and certainty that you were going to do that. And we'd figure out what we were going to do with that. that anyway, I'm digressing, all right? So some of you paid, played the lottery. You bought a ticket for that $2.2 billion. But if I were to say to you, do you have any confidence or any sureness that you are going to win the lottery, your answer would be, right, oh, I'm so glad you said no, all right? Because <laughs> this sermon would be tanked if you had said anything else, all right? No, the answer to that is no. You'd say, I, you would use the word hope because this is how our culture uses hope. You would use the word hope. But if you were to say, if I were to say to you, do you have confidence? Do you have certainty? You'd say, no, I'm looking at the odds of this thing. I got a better chance of being struck by lightning. All right, so no, I don't have any confidence. I don't have any sureness. And here's what I want you to see as we kind of start off the sermon this morning. Here's what I think is a better word than for the lottery. A better word for the lottery is wishing. All right, that I wish I would win the lottery, but I don't really have hope because I don't have any confidence. I don't have any certainty. Wishing is hope for a better future without faith and without belief in the thing that you're wishing in. Uh, or, or hoping in, all right? And, and lottery is a good example of that. I'm, I'm basing this on, a, on an interesting text from Hebrews 11. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So the writer of Hebrews is establishing this relationship between faith and hope. That faith is the certainty and the sureness that comes when you've placed your hope in the right thing. So when our hope is in the right thing, the writer of Hebrews says, when you have put your hope in the right thing, the thing that's going to lead you and your family to a better future, when you've placed your hope in the right thing, faith shows up. And when faith marries authentic, true hope, there is certainty and sureness about the future. So one of the tests of hope is this, all right? So one of the ways you can test, am I hoping in the right thing? Am I hoping in the thing that's going to lead me for a better, to a better future? One of the tests of hope is, does your faith and your belief follow? All right? So if you say, man, I hope in this, and you can run a test to say, do I believe and do I have faith in this thing that I'm hoping in? When your faith follows your belief, there is a confidence and there is a certainty that flows out of that. So I think a lot of people have no confidence and no sureness in the thing that they're hoping in. And here's what they've decided to do. I'll put it on the screen for you. They have decided, they have decided to settle for wishing when hope is available. 
So I don't want to beat a dead horse. I really don't. But would you allow me like two more examples, all right? Because I want to make sure we have a good base of this setup. So some of you know I'm wearing a shirt today to demonstrate this. Some of you know that my wife and I root for the Michigan State Spartans, all right? My wife is a graduate of there. I grew up in the same town. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we root for them, all right? Basketball season is starting, all right? Now, if you were to say to me, do you hope that Michigan State wins the national championship this year? I would probably answer that, yes, I do, right? But if, if I were to run the test of hope and say, do you have confidence, do you have sureness that Michigan State basketball is gonna win a national championship this year, do you know what I have to say? As an honest pastoral person <laughs> that would never lie to you from the stage, I would have to say no. We are preseason ranked number 10, but we're missing some pieces. And we're just gonna have to see how the year plays out. But no, I don't have confidence and I don't have sureness that they're gonna win a national championship. So what the writer of Hebrews would say and, and what I would say to you is, I'm wishing. I wish we'd win a national championship, but do I hope? No, because my belief hasn't followed it. There's no confidence and there's no sureness in the thing that I'm hoping for, so it's just wishing. All right. Now, let me give you one more example. Let's say we're getting ready to finish off 2018 and go into 2019. And let's say I were to approach you and say, do you have hope that next year you're going to get a race? You'd say, yeah, I, I do have hope about that. I, I do have hope that ha that happens. I'd say, do you have any belief or do you have any sureness that that's going to happen? And you would say, well, business has been good. My boss has budgeted for raises. My boss is verbally telling me that we're gonna get raises. Yeah, I've got, it hasn't happened yet, but I've got confidence that it is going to happen. The Bible would say that a little H, all right, because we're gonna talk about big H here in a minute, but yeah, that, that's legitimate hope, that you have confidence and you have sureness in the thing that you're hoping in. And that's the difference between hoping and wishing, is hoping carries with it confidence. Because faith marries hope. Hope carries with it sureness. And I think a lot of people don't have any confidence and they don't have any sureness in the thing that we're hoping in. And we want to move away from that. We want to move into true hope. Because there is an element of hope that is emotional, all right? There is an element of hope that is internal and it's emotional. Because of that, hope can be misguided. Hope can even be a little bit foolish. We can end up very easily hoping in the wrong thing or the wrong someone for a better future, right? Let me give you, for some people, it's circumstantial hope. I'll put this on the screen for you, that their hope is in something, right? Their hope is in a thing, right? If I could just get a bigger house, if I could just better get a better car, if I could just have a little bit more money, Hope, if hope is an expectation for a better future, that is the thing that represents a better future for them. It's a thing. It's more house, more money, better car. That is the better future that they envision. So the other day, uh, Sam was running some errands with me. And uh, I appreciated his help running the errands. So we went to Kroger, and there was a Wild Kratz workbook that was for sale. And Wild Kratz is a show he really likes on PBS. So I said, thank you for helping me with these errands. Let me buy you this workbook or whatever. And uh, he took the workbook. He graciously accepted it, all right? He took the workbook. And we were driving home, and he said, you know what, Daddy? And I said, what? He said, today in Kids Zone, we were learning that things don't make us happy. He said, but I'm confused because this thing made me happy. <laughs> and I said, let me turn on the radio, and we'll listen to something. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> 
let's, let's do something out, right? I said, that's a really good question. I said, what they were teaching you in Kids Zone is that you don't want to have your ultimate happiness and things. He said, he said yeah, that's what Miss, 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 Miss Michelle said. And I said, you know, you have a pile of other books at home that made you happy in the moment, but they're just kind of sitting in the corner of the, of the house. But, and I love that he's processing what he's learning in Kids Zone, but he's also processing what we're talking about today. Where should my hope be? Should my hope really be in a thing? Should my hope really be in a, in, in a something? See, the problem with a something is that it can be taken away from you. As he learned later in the day when he threw a fit. <laughs> a thing can be taken, all right, anyway, that's, that's for my therapist, all right? So it can be, ta- right? You can be transferred from a job. You can have to sell your house. You can get in an accident and lose your car. Even money doesn't satisfy. I've shared, you with, I've shared this with you before, but every once in a while they run uh, the, the, these questions about how much money do you need to be satisfied? How much money do you need to be happy? And you know what the answer consistently is? 20% more, right? It's been this way for 20 years. How much money do you need to be happy? About 20% more than I have right now. So, so we have this kind of vision of what's gonna make us happy, and then we get to that only to be disappointed in learning the thing that's really gonna bring us hope is 20% more than that, right? And so, you know, the Bible would say, don't hope in a thing. For others, their hope isn't in a thing. Their hope is in someone, if I could just get married, if I could just have better friendships, for many, um, their hope is in their children and their behavior and their success. They're hoping in a person. And here's the problem with that. Whoever that person is, they're not equipped to fill you with hope because they're sinful. I'm not trying to cut them down. Just all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There will be times when they fail. There will be times when they let you down. There will be times when they, in short, sin. And if you are spiritually reliant on them for your hope, that failure will be more devastating than it needs to be. So, so they're, they're not equipped to fill you with hope. The second problem, when you put your hope in a sinful person, if they're the source of your hope, here's what I've seen happen in a lot of relationships, is you can begin to control them to force them to lead you to a better future. Right? If you're like, man, my hope is in a someone, they're the one, my children, my spouse, my friend, they're going to lead me to a better future. Then all of a sudden you realize they're sinful and you start trying to control them to force them to lead you to a better future. And I've seen relationships get really diseased, really destructive, even abusive when we begin to view relationships this way. That I'm going to force, I'm going to control you into leading me to a better future. There is a better way. There is a confidence and a sureness we can have. Open your Bibles to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. That was not my intro, right? <laughs> oh, no. All right, no, it's okay. All right, Psalm 62. I want to give you a snapshot of where this psalm is going, and then I want to read it uh, to you in its entirety. And uh, you might want to, I'm having you open your Bibles. You may even want to close your eyes while I read the psalm to you and just kind of let it wash over you. But I want to give you a snapshot of where the psalmist is going before I read it to you. He, the psalmist, uh, David, is going to make the argument for us that our hope should be in God. That in terms of who's going to lead you to a better future, who's going to lead you to a better life, that the, the answer to that question is ultimately God. And this psalm was written by David in the middle of a very difficult time in his family. His son Absalom um, had attempted to take over the throne. And this was a day and age in which your children, especially your boys, did represent your future hope. Right? And a lot of people thought Absalom was going to make a really good king, young, charismatic, attractive, but he lacked inner character. 
And, and so he took matters into his own hands. He tried to steal the throne from his father. David ended up having to run. It's a really rough time. And it's in the middle of this season of betrayal and difficulty in his life that David writes Psalm 62. It is a psalm of hope. And so I know some of you limped in here today that you have been betrayed, you have been disappointed, you have been hurt by someone for whom maybe you had your hope in them and they have let you down. David knows how you feel. And he writes this psalm to everybody in that circumstance. Here it is. You might want to close your eyes. I don't know. Maybe if you came in here limping, you, you want to. But here, here's Psalm 62. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this teetering fence, surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul will find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on him. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put your vain hope in stolen goods, though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God. With you there is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. So throughout this psalm, David makes these declarations about God, right? Declarations like, God is my rock. Another way to say this is God is my foundation. God is the one on whom I am building my life. David had experienced years before writing this psalm, David had experienced firsthand what happens when he builds his life on something other than the rock of God. What, when he builds his life on what he wants, David had an affair. He had a man killed to cover it up. It didn't go well. And he learned from that. He says, from now on, God, you are my rock. I am building my life on you. I am building my life on your commands, your way, what you say. God, you are my rock. God, you are my hope. And I'm reminded of what Jesus taught later. We're going to be in a series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount starting in January. Uh, we're going to be on it January till almost Easter. But uh, this is the end of that sermon. Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is encouraging us, put your hope in me. Build your house on the rock of my teachings and my life, and I am going to lead you to a better future. David goes on, um, God, you are my salvation. God is my salvation. Another way to translate this is victory is going to come from God. 
David knew in the middle of one of his greatest trials, he just believed that God in his own time and in his own way, God was going to lead him to victory. And he was content to trust God for that victory. In other words, David was not going to force victory. David was not going to force his own agenda. David was not going to force his own way. He learned to be content in letting God bring victory in his timing and in his way. So David believed that in the short term. Um, And I do too. I believe in texts that say things like, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and be called according to his purpose. Victory is coming. Salvation is coming. God, in his own, put your hope in him. He's going to bring victory. So I believe it in the short term, but I believe there's also an eternal meeting here. That someday, God is going to turn to Jesus and say, it's time. And he's going to return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. And he's going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And in that place, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. This is the ultimate victory you are promised. This is why I have grown um, to dislike a phrase that I hear a lot when when people pass away. And the phrase is this, they have lost their battle. They have lost their battle with cancer. They have lost their battle with Alzheimer's. They have lost their battle with whatever. They didn't lose anything in Christ. They have not lost a battle. They have gained a victory. And they have received their reward in Christ Jesus. So he says, God is my salvation. And then the last kind of thing he says about God, God is my fortress. That the fortress uh, called God is the place where David spiritually, he'd hide in him. He'd spiritually find refuge in, in, in God. This is one of the things David learned the hard way. That when an enemy comes, listen to me, when an enemy comes, when life has its way, there are certain things an enemy can take from you. There are. There are certain things an enemy can take from you. They can take your position. They can take your resources. They can take a lot of things. They cannot take your faith in God. So have him be your hope. Run to him in times of, of crisis. Make him the place that you run to. And I love, I love how David ends this psalm because he's kind of going through all these things about God and there's more that we could have done. But I wanted to share with you the last thing David said because David said, when you're thinking about um, who to put your hope in and, and who to build your life on, he says, when it comes down to it, there are two things. All right, every argument you can make for God being your hope, it comes down to two things, all right? And everything you could say about God, every way that you could praise him is gonna fit under these two chapter headings, these two categories. And at the end of this Psalm, David reminds us of both of them. And so I wanna share them with you. The first chapter heading of everything fits under one of these two headings is this. In God, there is power that he has the power, he has the authority, he has the ability to lead you and your family to a better future. Right, so when you study the life of Jesus, he spent three years teaching about the best way to live. Right, three years kind of giving us lots of great teaching about the best way to live your life. But he also spent a lot of time in those three years doing miracles. And one of the purposes of those miracles was to establish his authority so that his miracles kind of backed up his teaching. So when Jesus said, this is the best way to live, this is the best way to do life, the miracles were telling us that he had the ultimate authority to lead us in, in that way. And the ultimate authority that he, showed, that he demonstrated to us was his resurrection. And it was later on that Jesus said this to his early followers. After his resurrection, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And they were like, 
Yeah. All right, that's Steve Higgs' translation, but yeah. You were dead, now you're alive. All authority is yours, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I am with you to the very end of your age. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. So Jesus gave us a mission. He said, go and tell people I'm leading them to a better future. In this life and in the next, go tell them I am leading them to a better, to, to a better future. So tell them to put their hope in me. All right, the second category. So the first category is God's power. The second thing that David says, and everything fits under one of the, these two things, is God, in God, is unfailing love. That he loves you. And so when you read through the Bible, and you read through this book, and you come across his commands, when you come across his decrees, when you come across him saying, this is the better future, this is where I'm leading you, this is where we're, we're, we're going, I hope that you can see in this book that it is a reflection of his love for you. His commands are not trying to keep you from something. His commands are trying to lead you to a better future. Right? His decrees are not trying to keep you from something. They are trying to lead you to a better future. His way is not trying to keep you from something. His way is trying to lead you to a better future. And so when I started out in ministry 20-some years ago, I had kind of as my internal slogan as a, as a youth minister and later on as a preacher that I wanted people to know that God loves them. That he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. God doesn't hate you. God's not trying to keep you from something. He loves you and he's leading you to a better future so that our hope and our faith would be in him. Because in him, when faith meets hope, that's when confidence comes. And I don't want you going through this life wondering if the thing you've put your hope in is gonna lead you to a better future. I want you to have confidence in God, and that only happens when faith marries hope. And so the, right, David, he came to this conclusion a long time ago, but David says this, put it on the screen for you, a really simple way to end a message. Place your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Because hope can be such an emotional thing, especially when enemies are doing their thing and life is doing its thing and it's hard and tough. Sometimes in, in emotion, we put our hope in the wrong thing or in the wrong someone. And David pleads with us from a place of honesty, don't do that. Put your hope in God. He will lead you to a better future. So I want to get, if you'll allow me just like two or three minutes, I want to go back to the beginning of the sermon. And, and I want to kind of put God through the hope test just for a minute here, all right, that we talked about earlier. And I want to make a series of statements, and then we'll talk about them, all right? So here's a series of statements. I hope that God is going to do something good in my situation. I hope that God has a plan for my life. I hope that God is going to lead me to victory. I hope that God can be, can, can be trusted. I hope that justice is going to be done. All right, we hope in all of those things. And the follow-up question is this, do you believe God has the ability to do those things? Do you have the faith that God can do those things? I do. And if, if you do too, your hope, is in, your hope is in the right place. I want your hope to be in God because he has demonstrated again and again and again his ability, power, and love to be able to do all of those things. 
So I hope God is going to do something in my situation, but I am confident he's going to do something, that all things work for the good of those who love him. I hope that God has a plan for my life. I have confidence that he has a plan for my life. I hope that God is going to lead me to victory. I have confidence that he's going to do that. I hope that he can be trusted. I hope justice will be done. I have, and, and this is just me, and, and I'm hoping that the, the needle moves for, this, for, for you on this as well. I have absolute confidence in the ability of God in the love of God, in the authority of God to do every one of those things. See, wishing is our culture's thing right now. Wishing is our culture's thing. It is hope without any confidence, right? So it's like, oh, I wish this would happen. I wish that it's hope without confidence. And God, that's not what we have. We have every reason to have confidence, Right, Because of his power, because of his love, because of what he's done in history and what he's done in our lives, we have every reason to have confidence. So in God, we have real hope, which is that God has the power to do what he said he was going to do. He has the ability to do what he said he was going to do, and he will do what he said he's going to do. That's confidence. And I will tell you, I heard a great sermon this week uh, by another pastor, and he demonstrated in a powerful way for me, you know, the number one reason you can have confidence in God the resurrection, right? That he uh, spent a great deal of his life talking about his death. He died, just like he said he would, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he stood before his followers. I read to you the text earlier. He stood before his followers, and he said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And everyone's like, all his followers were like, true. We agree. Our confidence, God, is in you. Our confidence, Jesus, is in you. You love us, and you have the power and the authority to lead us to a better life. Our hope is in you. And so we're going to celebrate that moment right now. Um, we're going to uh, pass out some communion trays, and the bread is representative of Jesus' body on the cross. The blood is representative of his blood, and the empty cup after you take it is representative of an empty tomb, right? Right? I kind of just made that up, but let's go with it, all right? Um, and this is a moment where we get to celebrate what he accomplished and what he did. And, how, and this is just a time for us to renew. Jesus, our confidence is in you. Our hope is in you. It, we're not wishing for anything, right? We're hoping in Jesus because we have confidence in him. And so uh, they'll pass those out. You can just hold on to those just for a moment. I'll come back up. We like to take communion as a church family um, to just kind of have that shared experience of reminding ourselves that our hope is in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this moment as a church. We thank you for Jesus, for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He has demonstrated his authority and his love in a powerful way for us. Um, we, we want to have our hope in him. We want to have our confidence in him. The cross shows us how much he loves us. The resurrection shows us his power. We want all of our confidence to be in you, Lord. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.